Welcome in, everybody, to another good interview we got here today for you. We have voice of the Detroit Red Wings, Ken Daniels. How are you today, sir? Good, Steve. Nice to be with you. Pleasure. So you have been with Detroit for a very long time. You have seen the ups and the downs of the franchise. Kind of in, you know, a little bit of a down right now, but I want to get into that a little bit later. So... It's always interesting how it seems all four of the major sports, the play-by-play voices have very different roles. Baseball, it seems like they're, you know, kind of telling a story. Basketball, it seems like they're being a point guard of sorts, you know, dishing it out to their analysts. Football, they're just kind of there, you know, leading the action because there is not always action every play. You, though, you can't take a playoff. You're there 60 minutes a game. So being at the top of the hockey world, commentating for as long as you have, how is that experience been? Well, for me, in terms of play-by-play, I love it because you're, you're right. Although the choice of term there with the Red Wings, you can't take a playoff. I'm going playoff. It's been five years. <laughs> Good point, though. Well said by you. Um, yeah, you can't take a playoff. But you know what? I, I think it's changed hockey play-by-play. When I was with Hockey Night in Canada, before that, I was with Maple Leafs Radio. Although radio is somewhat different than, than TV because you're more descriptive and you're more whistle-to-whistle uh, for play-by-play, obviously, because you don't have the moving pictures. But I think when I came from Hockey Night in Canada and I was doing play-by-play there in the early 90s, I think it would have been 80-20, 70-30 play-by-play to analysts. I think I came when I came to Detroit in 97 with Mickey Redman, who uh, has such a great following and is so good at what he does – when it was 80-20 from Hockey Night, I think it quickly became, in my head, it was 70-30 or 60-40 uh, play-by-play to analysts, and I think I had to adjust to that. And I knew I needed to adjust to that because Mickey was a star. In Michigan, it's almost like he was the Don Cherry without the political views, if you know what I mean. But he was just so popular. So I wanted you know, be the new guy coming in, adapt to him, and I think that's why we've lasted going on now into our 25th season the longest current serving TV duo in the NHL, because I think we could play off each other. He knows my cadence. I know his, but I think overall, a long answer to your question, where it used to be maybe 80, 20, 70, 30, it's quickly become 60, 40, I think maybe 65, 35, uh, play by play to analysts now in all the games you watch across the national hockey league, but you got to be quick. You got to be in and out as a play by play guy. When the, you know, the, puck drops in offensive zone. Uh, You want that because it can go quickly in for a goal. You don't want to miss the goal call. Sometimes we do. That used to piss me off 20 years ago. It doesn't anymore. Uh, Stuff happens and the game is so quick. But I think if you're cognizant as an analyst and when the play's coming, you can see in a blue line, you can see it developing, you can get the cadence going for a play-by-play guy, bring it in and the crescendo for a goal. So I think if the analyst is aware, there can be more conversation, but you can't take any playoff. You're right. You mentioned Hockey Night in Canada, and I'm sure a lot of people in America are now familiar with it. But it seems to me like Hockey Night in Canada to them was like our sports center, especially in the 90s. So working for them then, were you like aware of the impact you had in the country? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, for sure. It was, uh, you know, I began hosting Hockey Night in Canada 
1990, got a lucky break when, uh, well, unlucky for Ron, he had to go home for family uh, reasons. And I would happen to be in St. Louis opening night of the Stanley Cup playoffs, Leafs and Blues, and Ron had to go home. I filled in for him. That was my first hosting gig on Hockey Night in Canada and Coach's Corner with Don Cherry. So that was the first night. So you can imagine how nervous I was. And it was before cell phones. And I got back to my hotel room and the red light was was flashing in my hotel room and it was Mark Askin, the producer saying, Hey, Ken, I know you're down here for local TV. I need you to host Hockey Night in Canada tomorrow night. I wish I'd seen the light in the morning and gone to bed because I couldn't sleep at all that night. I was so nervous. So yes, well aware when you get on the bench and then for the next two or three years, you know, not a lot, but I'd maybe get 10 games a year hosting Hockey Night and you're on the bench and you hear Dolores Clayman's theme song, of Hockey Night in Canada, which is now part of TSN and, and Hockey Night lost it. Uh, the heart, you know, it just starts beating. And, and because I grew up with it, I, I wanted to do be part of Hockey Night in Canada in some way, maybe not necessarily play by play or hosting or be part of the game or broadcasting from the age of eight or nine in the late 60s. So to be able to be in that domain, oh, my goodness, it was it was beyond belief. And what a treasure. And then to be able to do play by play for that. And, you know, they throw Ken Daniels in the booth and Hockey Night in Canada, sure, yeah, meant the world to me. It was, uh, it was to what Monday Night Football was back in the day with Dandy Don and Howard Cosell and everything else is Hockey Night in Canada. So I could imagine if you're working one of those guys on Monday Night Football, and and then to be Hockey Night in Canada back then, unreal. Yeah. What's so interesting about like the trajectory of hockey is, it just seems like it's always maintained its level of popularity. But I think it's kind of turned a page lately. And you did say earlier, you know, it's getting faster. So when you're broadcasting these games, as you have been for a long time, can you see certain players when they come in, whether it be from Europe or, you know, from the draft that you're like, okay, this is a player that is part of this transition period of the sport? Yes. And by the way, to your hockey night seat, I've even got my hockey night Canada mug after all the years drinking my coffee. And as any play by play guy, I'll tell you, I don't know many that don't drink coffee or tea during a game. I know it may not be great for your voice, but we all do. Um, I think for sure, uh, the one that always comes to mind is Pavel Datsuk because he was my favorite. I don't like how he left the Red Wings and left too early, uh, signing the deal and left them in a hole. I didn't like that. But as a player to watch, Pavel Datsuk was just unreal when he came over and Henrik Sederberg and you saw the work ethic. Sederberg wasn't the quickest guy in the world, but boy, he was smart. And, and even now, Theodore Niederbach, who's over in Sweden, one of the Red Wing draft picks, and I watched him and I, and I saw him at the World Juniors. And I think this guy reminds me of a maybe not the same talent level, obviously, as Sederberg because he's amazing. But you saw some of that. So I like to look and, and see who you compare to. A little bit I've seen of Lucas Raymond and his competitive level and his quickness and his uh, Red Wings fourth overall pick. But Pavel Datsuk, you'd wait for Pavel to come over the boards. Calling a game, whether, you know, the time that even for Hockey Night or you're, you're calling Wayne Gretzky and you couldn't wait for Gretzky to come over the boards and do something or Pavel Bure and you wait for him to get that breakaway calling a Vancouver Canuck game for Hockey Night in Canada. And you just saw these guys and the speed that they had. And Pavel Datsuk in 2002 was his rookie year where the Red Wings won the Stanley Cup and was on a line at times with Brett Hull. And you just see little flashes and you watch him in practice and you see him in practice and you go, wow, what he could do there. And then you see a little bit of that in the game and you say, just wait for it. 
And his first two years, numbers weren't great for Pavel in 02 and 03. Then all of a sudden he explodes and then the more confidence comes. And remember when Pavel came over in Zetterberg, I think they were 23 and 24. They weren't 18 or 19 as the kids are coming now because the lifespan of an NHLer is shorter, right? And the average lifespan of a player in the league, people don't know this, but it's three to five years on average. Some of the greats, sure, they stay a lot longer. But when unrestricted free agency used to be 31 and you play until you're 40, it doesn't happen anymore. You're often over the hill at 32 or 33 because you can't keep up with the kids who are so fast at 18. So when I saw Pavel in about 03 and you started to see some of the things you could do and stop on a dime and turn people like moves we'd never seen before, which led me to coin the phrase the Datsuki and Deke. It was unreal. So every game, you go in thinking, okay, don't use Datsuki and Deke tonight because you used it twice last game. You don't want to overuse the thing. So you're thinking about that. But So he'd be one guy for sure. You see these young players. There are probably so many. You know, I didn't see Lidstrom in his infancy. I came when he was already seven years into his career. So I can't claim that one. But at the end of the night, you just see Lidstrom or you don't see him and you go, he was perfect again. Like he didn't get caught on anything or just made such a subtle little play. And you go, wow, that's such a subtle little play that most guys in the league can't make that play. So to me, when I call a game, um, you get so tied up in the game. When they ask us to pick the three stars, and sometimes they used to, you can't as a broadcaster because you're watching everything. You, you, you lose, you're so focused on the play and when you're into the play. But big picture, you can know the one or two who stood out maybe, but there are so many subtle little things that you don't really think about until the game's over and you go, oh yeah, right. Oh yeah, that one. Oh yeah, he didn't stand out, but yet he stood out. You know, and that was Nick Lidstrom to me, if that makes sense. I want to go back to something you said a little earlier and uh, to the Hockey Night in Canada Cup. Uh, and what's so interesting to me with broadcasters is what they do in the off time. You know, football and baseball, they don't really have too much. They have halftime in football, but baseball, very continuous. Basketball has a halftime, but then hockey has 20 minutes in between periods. So, you know, you're at Little Caesars Arena in Detroit, Michigan. What are you doing after the first period? Uh, going to the bathroom, probably for one. <laughs> depends. It depends how much Java I've had. Uh, that's maybe part of it. Um, you know, I think Mick and I will, will probably laugh once or twice in the intermission about something. And it may not necessarily be about the game that just happened. And often at Little Caesars Arena, it's funny you mentioned that we have people coming up and visit. You know, I'll go through the notes. I'll listen to uh, whether it be Larry Murphy, Chris Osgood uh, on set with uh, one of our hosts um, and get their thoughts in the period to see if they thought maybe what we thought the same way. I'll uh, we'll get our stat sheet will probably be delivered to us with probably 18 intermission, 18 minute intermissions, probably with six, seven minutes to go in the period. We'll get those. I mean, I can go online and look at it right away, but you wait to get the stat sheet, see who had so many shots. Um, we have now in game we'll see the ice time as it goes and the shift time so that's not new to me i'll see that or one of our stats guys will point that out to me on who had ice time or that was a long shift and we'll post it so a lot of that stuff is happening now in game where maybe you would have looked more depth in the intermission but generally it's just i think a chance to take a breather for us we'll laugh or make a look at something he'll want to see a replay i look at it maybe there's just be a penalty we didn't think should have been i'll say can we get another look at that or last the production truck when they go to commercial. Can we see that goal again? Someone just came in and the official scorer came in and they're looking and Mick saw it this way and the official scorer aren't, isn't giving this guy an assist. 
Well, it hit him. He has to get an assist. So some of that stuff comes up. And um, generally on the road, sometimes we'll go in and speak to the other broadcaster from the other team, the other play-by-play guy, just meet in the hallway, grab another coffee, just shoot the breeze. And often it's not about the game. It's just what's going on in life. We didn't have the time to catch up in the intermission. I think some nights you're looking more into the game if there's things happening. Other nights nothing's going on. You're just taking the time and shooting the breeze about something else. Is there a sequence of plays that has happened in your career that when you look back on was your favorite one to commentate? A sequence of plays. Ooh, that's a toughie. Um, I'm sure there are many, Steve. I just don't know if I could remember them. I think a lot of them probably revolved around Pavel. Um, you know, Deeks, whether it be on Marty Turco, on Thomas Vokun. There have been a couple against Nashville, actually. Uh, so, you know, turning, I think it was, was a Couturier? Uh, I'm trying to think who it was in San, was it San Jose who turned somebody inside out and just fell over. So plays like that, a sequence of plays. I think one, one that maybe stands out is the 0-2 playoffs, first round Vancouver down 0-2 and late in the period, Nick Lidstrom scores from center ice. And I remember my call at the time, uh, that's maybe just the break the Red Wings need. And then sure enough, you go on and you win four straight games over Vancouver and a Brett Hall hat trick in that series. So that's part of a sequence that opened. I remember that one for Nick when you score from, you know, 90, 89 feet away and the goal goes in and you think, wow, that's the turnaround down 0-2 in the series in the first round of a series you should win with a Hall of Fame team. Uh, those type of sequences, I have a tendency to remember. But after a while, all of them just come together. There's great plays, and, you know, I, I don't know if there's one particular sequence. So, Well, maybe there's one. I remember the sequence was 28 seconds on its own, Gus Nyquist in overtime, when it was four-on-four four overtime in Ottawa. And I don't know if you had seen the play or if you, you could Google it, you could find it. But he held the puck, and we didn't have the exact time, but we knew it was close to half a minute at the time. And it was four-on-four four overtime and regular season game. And uh, Gus Nike was just circled the goal and coming back and circles a goal and coming back and did it again. Oh, holy cow. And then he scored. <laughs> so, you know, that sequence of one play, which could have been a sequence of many plays, but that one I remember. When it comes to playoff time, you guys, the local broadcast team, get to do the first round. But then if your team should advance, you do have to bow out. Is that like... Is that like, you know, having to leave and it, you just like feel bad that, you know, this is the end of your journey after you've been with them at home on the road through the ups and downs, or is it like, you know what, they deserve this. They deserve to be on a national stage. So let's let, you know, the NBC guys take over for now. No, screw that. It's like being, it's like being in a bar and you work trying to pick up somebody for an entire night and then they just ghost you. You know, that's what it's like to me. You think you have a shot and then the shot is gone. Um, no, I, I, you know, because we do when we, you know, it's been five years since we've been in the playoffs. Now we'll get back there again. We're building toward that Detroit. It'll be fine. Uh, we've been spoiled for 25 years. So, you know, taking five, it's cyclical. It happens. Um, 
I'd like to call all the rounds. I, you know, I was so happy and it was same time unfortunate for Ken Cal in 08, our radio voice to the Red Wings when he lost his voice that day. As I call him Schlepprock from the Flintstones, anything bad can happen happens to him. And he lost his voice. I flew down to Pittsburgh and I called most of that game. I got to call the Stanley Cup final and I, you know, I gave it to Ken with about 15 seconds left to call the Red Wings win the Stanley Cup because it was his right to do that. But at least I got to call part of that game and be part of a cup final and I'll never get that on TV. That's the bonus to do on the radio. Uh, as much as I love television, radio, your own man. I used to work for the Leafs in radio in the early 90s. They weren't getting to a Stanley Cup final and I was a fill-in guy anyway. So, um, no, I would like to, you know, we used to call two rounds and then we got bounced. And that I understood. You know, you're, you're down there and by the time you get to the conference finals, that I get where national takes over. But even now doing the first round, Stephen, we will lose a game now and again. If you went seven games, we'd lose a game here and there uh, to the national feed, which, which is okay. I get it. You hope it's not a clinching game. You hope you get to call it. But no, I'd like, to, I'd like to call two rounds and do every game because I love it. And you finally get to that point in the season. I don't know, the baseball guys must hate it, right? I mean, they get to call it and the playoffs start and they're done. Brutal, brutal. It would be great regular season games when the team's winning, you can have a lot of fun. We, you know, during the regular season, and I, I over the past since 2012, whether it be versus or 2011, NBC or versus, I was doing maybe a game or two a year and the odd playoff series here or there, not a ton, but some. So that kept me in it. And some were Red Wing games, even when they weren't playing. But it's also, you know, when they're on the road and they're going out for one and it's a weekend game and you, it's a regular season, you get a weekend off with your family. That's nice too to get the break, but playoffs. No, I want to call. I want to call. I have had the pleasure to talk to a couple of people that are on TV all the time. I, when I was a kid growing up, I did want to be a broadcaster, but then I couldn't stand the sound of my voice and I have like my own weird things. So it never really would have lined up for me. But if there's someone out here listening to this, that play by play is their true passion and that's all they want to do. What is the biggest tip you can give them to succeed? Hmm. Yes. Good question, Stephen. Um, I think passion is key. I always say, you know, I live my life by the three P's um, persistence because you need persistence to get in this business preparation and passion. And then I found as I've gotten older, the three P's have a tendency to come between midnight and six o'clock in the morning. I don't know how that works, but it happens that way. But anyway, those three P's. And if you have passion, um, you know, it's, it's you, you could take, if you've still got, you can do it on your phone now, right? It used to be take the tape recorder in and get into a junior building, get in anywhere and just call the game, go up in the upper corner and call the game and send it out to people. Uh, I've had lots of people reach out to me, not that I want the world reaching out to me, but I do have people reaching out to me and to critique their tapes. And that's sometimes hard to do. It really is. And they say, you know, be honest, but it is. And, you know, and, and my call and what I like and someone else may not be what someone likes, you know, I can have my call and I'm, listen, I know there's a lot of people may not like my call. That's okay. They don't have to, everyone's different. And I've, I've come to learn that you may not like your own voice, but the sound of one's voice to one person, like could be mine, could be grading to somebody else. And someone else may think, no, he's a great broadcaster. I'm not just talking play by play, I'm talking anything, right? They may be great. And somebody else, it's just something in the brain. They don't compute with the sound level of their voice or how they hear. 
It's like you can get tired of your wife after all day. All of a sudden, you don't like her voice after a number of years. I don't know. That can happen too for anybody you're with. Um, so the greatest tip I would think would just, you know, call a game off a of television, turn the sound down, record yourself, um, go to a junior game. You know, I, I was very fortunate. I never... I don't know if that's fortunate or not, because maybe I missed out on something. I never got to the American League or the Ontario Hockey League growing up in Toronto. My first game ever was calling Maple Leafs hockey against the Boston Bruins. And I think it was 1990, January, late January, 1990, because Joe Bowen, Maple Leafs radio play-by-play guy, was doing TV and the guy who was filling in from him couldn't do the game. He was on assignment somewhere else. So the night before... I got a call from the station um, executive producer at the radio station, Alan Davis, who was in charge of Maple Leafs hockey on the Telemedia Sports Network. And he said, I need you to do the game tomorrow night. And I said, and I was working at the radio station doing sports and I was also working in television. And I said, Alan, I'm moving tomorrow. And his quote to me was, we'll get someone else to move the fucking ottoman. And I thought, well, here was my chance to do play by play. And yet, I had done the Olympics. I'd done the Olympics in Seoul in 88, not hockey, but I'd done canoeing, kayaking, velodrome, racing on bikes, road racing on bikes. So I've called play-by-play, but not that. And Alan gave me a good lesson then, and maybe one for your listeners too, is when I called canoeing, kayaking, and I wasn't very good in 88 in Seoul. It's the first true play-by-play I'd done. I've been involved in radio for you know eight years at that point. And I'd done TV for three years. You know, broadcasting, teleprompter, live events, doing everything. But Al, when I called the 1500 meter kayak race and he went through some of those canoeing and kayaking races with me and, you know, you had to study your ass off and that's preparation, right? And he said, you gave yourself nowhere to go. You started so high when they came out of the blocks that you had already hit the ceiling. You had nowhere to go. Where was your cadence? Where was your build? And Dan Kelly, the late, great Dan Kelly, play-by-play of the St. Louis Blues. We lost too early at age 52. He was my idol growing up when I'd listen to the radio in bed on KMOX 1120 out of St. Louis. No one had a better goal call than Dan Kelly. And if you ever want to hear play-by-play to its finest, if I don't know if you've ever seen on YouTube or Google the 1987 Canada Cup, Canada-Russia, 6-5 games. Dan Kelly called them perfection. That's how you call hockey. And that was Gretzky to Lemieux with Larry Murphy lacking like a decoy, quacking like a duck on the side, never got the puck, and Lemieux scores with a minute and a half to go, and Canada wins it and beats Russia in a three-game series. That was the best play-by-play I've ever heard in my life. That was Dan Kelly. That's awesome. So, but Alan gave me that tip, you know, give yourself to build. And, and not every play, you come through, you know, you come out of your defensive zone, through the middle, across the blue line, and you've got to build to what the excitement is. You can't be at that level all the time. You wear people out and when to talk, when to lay off, let it breathe. So these are all tips I like to give to broadcasters and the goal call obviously is important. I don't nail every goal call I have. Some I wish I could have back. Some you just hit and the tone is right. But for anyone doing it, I think radio is a great experience. If you can get into a radio station, it teaches you how to react. It teaches you how to be live. Even being on a podcast teaches you how to listen to someone else's question, how to react, think on your feet. That's all part of play-by-play. So what you're doing now in a podcast, if someone were to do that and broadcast, go try play-by-play live. Listen to yourself back. Don't hate your own voice like you do. Everyone, Not everyone likes their own voice. So that's that just is until you get used to it. I could listen to tapes back from years ago. Well, that's me. That's awful. Yeah, at the time you thought you're okay. That's why I don't listen to a lot of the old stuff. 
and check yourself, watch your tapes, uh, listen to your tapes, see what you're doing, um, see if you're using something too much, see if you're letting it breathe, um, see if you're building that. So all those are different tips you can give, but podcasting, getting into radio, internship, uh, going to maybe a community college for a degree where you get to learn everything. We're a team, especially in TV, and you've got to know those camera guys, those audio guys are just as important or you're not getting on the air. So you got to be a team player. You've got to respect everybody in the business. And sometimes we forget that. And that's a really key part to remember to be a team guy. One, the last thing I do want to ask you, we would be remiss. Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup playoffs are down to the final four. Who you like winning the whole thing? Okay. Well, it's uh, tough to bet against Tampa and Vegas. I'm sort of rooting for the Islanders because of uh, Andy Green, who I really like, and, and uh, I like Andy a lot. Um, you know, you got guys on the other side, too, and I love dealing with uh, John Cooper and like Barry Trotz, boy, it's hard sometimes when you're when you're in the biz, right? Uh, I tough to bet against Vegas, so I, I know Tampa's uh, defending champ, and that would be a great series if that's the one that happens. I'd like to see Montreal be able to give a run to Vegas. I'm just not sure they can. I love their first six, seven minutes of the, the game one, but Vegas is just so big, and. Tampa's got a big defense, but Vegas, just everybody's big from Carrier and everybody. Even Reeves doesn't look big compared to the rest of them. They're all just big. They got great skill. They got great defense and Theodore and Petrangelo. And um, so I, I'm, if I had to put a wager in Vegas, I'd say Vegas. I'd say Vegas. Okay. And I, I think uh, if it's Tampa and Vegas in the final, Boy, that'll be something to watch. It was funny when I was watching Montreal, Winnipeg, and then I, you know, before they got to this stage, and then you watch Vegas and Colorado and you go, okay, there's hockey, playoff hockey, Vegas, Colorado, and then there's, I'm not sure what that is. It looked like the regular season. That was the tempo and teams that are skilled and have a system and can use that system because they're so damn skilled. And that's Tampa and Vegas to me. And the Islanders have their system too. I just think there's more skill on the other side on Tampa. And for what the Islanders have done without Anders Lee is remarkable. But that's Barry Trotz. That, that's the team system. That's Lou Amarillo and what he's built. So I love all the teams that are there. And kudos to Montreal for what they, you know, just getting on that role and the seven straight wins and never trailing what they were able to do. But I think in the end, I'm going with Vegas. How's that? I do have to let you go, unfortunately, but... You do have an incredible foundation. I'm going to leave a link to it in the description for this. So if you just want to tell everybody a little bit what it's about. Thank you. Stephen, I appreciate that. And you didn't have to do that. That's very nice. And it's over my shoulder right there, the Jamie Daniels Foundation. We're in partnership with the Children's Foundation. I lost my son, Jamie, um, to substance use uh, disorder. And he was also patient brokered. You can Google what patient brokering is. There's, there's a movie actually called Body Brokers on Amazon Prime. I have not watched it. I hear it's quite a good movie. It's an actual movie about the seedy side of the recovery business where they built the insurance industry and they find kids like my son who had good insurance and someone pays to get him to a house. They're paid to befriend him, get him to a house so that he could relapse again, get him to an addiction doctor who then built the insurance industry. And one of Jamie's doctors, Dr. Michael Lagotti, is standing trial in May of 22. He's been indicted. 
and Jamie's case is one of five in the indictment against Dr. Michael Ligotti. So we will be there in the courtroom and uh, we hope there's a sentencing for a long time. And the place where Jamie got patient brokered to, the owner of that house, Kenneth Chapman, one, he was involved in that house, he's serving 27 years in jail. So all I'll say is uh, Jamie got hooked on opioids, prescription medication in his freshman year at Michigan State, he graduated with a 3.5, finally went to rehab, was in Florida, seven months clean, working at a law firm, studying for his LSATs until he got patient brokered. And then someone sent him to that addiction doctor who put him on Xanax, which kid who's recovering from, from addiction should never be on Xanax, but that's what he was. He felt better about himself, felt good because you're on Xanax and he took a pill in that house that wasn't sober and it was laced with fentanyl and they killed him. And they left him there for an hour until they called paramedics because they wanted to clean up the house. He should have never been there, but you know, he's 23 years old. I got this dad, it's only 50 bucks a month. I'm paying 245 a week in the other place. I'm good now. When you're addicted, you're never good because the chemical receptors in your brains have changed. And when people, I say, Stephen, to close here, you need empathy. It's the highest form of knowledge because it comes without judgment. Have empathy for one who is addicted. They don't want to be high. They don't use something. Just like someone who becomes an alcoholic, they don't know from that first drink they're going to become an alcoholic. Sometimes it's just not your fault. The chemical receptors in your brains change. And when someone takes a pill because a doctor prescribed it and they get high, it's a lark, you're a freshman, you're in college, your peers have you use it. You don't know what's going to happen to you. You don't wake up and say, I'm going to screw up the rest of my life today and be an addict. But once those pills take hold of you and you become addicted, you are so worried about coming down from that high or whatever you're feeling that your brain says, give me more. You don't want to detox. You're going to be as sick as you've ever felt in your life. And that's why those continue to use because your brain says, uh-uh, you're not stopping. And you have no control over it. So I just ask, have empathy, and I ask anyone out there who's listening to your podcast, if you have prescription medication that's old in your cabinet at home from an old surgery, anything you got, get rid of it. Don't flush it. That's not a good way to dispose of it. Take it to a police station. There are drop sites. You can get rid of your medication in your house. And if you have your wisdom teeth out or anything else, and the doctor says, yeah, I'm going to put you on Vicodin, say, you know, will Tylenol-3 or ibuprofen work just as well? That'll be good do that. If we can get more people talking about this brain wellness, mental wellness, if we can get more people talking about Stephen, just like we are here, it'll help spread the word. We had shame and stigma. We did as a family. Jamie didn't want anyone to know. Back in 2015, we didn't know. Now we need people to talk about it. Don't be ashamed of it. It's uh, We need to talk about it. So thank you for asking. The work you've done with it, sir, is incredible. Please check out the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Like I said, I'm going to leave the link in description. I appreciate the time immensely, Mr. Daniels. It was a pleasure. I hope you enjoy your off season. And, you know, maybe down the line, uh, you and I can get to talk about, you know, maybe the Red Wings in the final four of the Stanley Cup playoffs. That'll be good. I would gladly come back. Thanks for reaching out on Instagram. And I'm at Ken Daniels TV on Instagram. I'm not on Twitter. Instagram's a much friendlier world. So uh, meaning a friend like you, uh, I appreciate you reaching out. Thank you. Thanks. Once again, thank you to Ken Daniels. We're on Instagram, Wavelengths Pod, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, anywhere, you know, you get your podcasts. And we will see you guys very soon on the next one.